Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Pruno podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host Dikjay and today I have with me Anirudh Damani, managing partner at Artha Venture Fund, which is an early stage sector agnostic fund that has been investing in startups since early 2012. Anirudh also owns Artha Energy Resources and is the MD and CEO at Artha Group of Companies. the family office which is also one of the co-sponsors of Artha Venture Fund prior to launching the fund anirudh was an active angel investor in many early stage startups in this episode anirudh talks about his path to vc investing in startups through his family office before starting his own fund benefits and mechanics behind managing a micro vc fund artha's investment thesis fund allocation and deal sourcing strategies and why founders should focus on keeping their cap tables clean especially in the initial funding round i absolutely enjoyed this free willing chat with anirudh which provides an interesting perspective on vc through a microfund managers lens i hope you enjoy this discussion too so without much ado let's dive in and find out what anirudh has to share hey anirudh welcome to the vc pruna podcast glad to have you on the show with us Hi Dikje pleasure getting getting on the show and uh, looking forward to having a great uh, conversation on everything VC yeah thanks thanks it's a pleasure to have you here so anirudh for those who don't know you yet you know maybe we can start with a brief background about yourself tell us how did you you know end up in the world of venture investing uh, i'm i'm what you would call an accidental vc uh, i did not actually intend to ever manage capital maybe manage my own capital but third party capital was never never something i even dreamt of doing but uh, after graduation i got into a very interesting role where i got a chance to meet over 100000 entrepreneurs over a period of 6 7 years and i got to understand their business models from a very close angle so that experience you know taught me everything about what a good entrepreneur looks like what a terrible entrepreneur looks like wh- why some people have you know get into entrepreneurship for the wrong reason sometimes right and uh, at the end of that experience i somehow got into investing a little bit of capital and then i just felt that i had the knack to understand because i had seen so many entrepreneurs in my life big small new old and and successful and un- unsuccessful that maybe i had a knack to pick who could be a good entrepreneur or so or so at least someone i could back and uh, yeah just got into this whole whole gig of investing early into uh, founders and continue to write follow on checks and it, like i said it wasn't really a structured approach maybe my answer is, isn't that structured either but it it just landed up being in, in a way that uh, I, i think i ended up coming to a moment where i felt maybe i was just made for this because you know i don't think many people have the experience of meeting 100000 plus entrepreneurs in their life so now today i can i can take all that knowledge of experience that i have and be able to give it to entrepreneurs uh, besides the money yeah absolutely you know like you mentioned it's an unstructured part so we'll probably help our audience connect the dots you know you mentioned you had some entrepreneurial experience before getting into investing so if you could talk more about that and also about the family office you know that you were running before running your own fund so let me explain what the job i did so that i think that that will probably explain why it's so unstructured but i got after graduating from college with a double major i actually got into door to door sales so i started selling long term energy contracts to commercial and industrial users of power and i started that job actually as a very with a very small team i was the first person recruited for the commercial division 
uh, me and the president of the division we just two people that started and i i recruited a team of about three or four people we became one of one of the most recognized and successful commercial brokers in texas within 6 7 months and then got a nationwide contract with uh, one of the world's largest not one of the world but the world's largest utility company called suez energy we became their direct selling force across the us for 14 offices across i think six or seven states and it was just an amazing job because on the one hand i was direct selling on the other hand i had a client like suez who was a who is a fortune 100 company you know they have 300 billion dollars today and just got the best of both worlds and i was meeting all these amazing entrepreneurs in 2009 10 when you know, the whole market went through this turmoil i had a chance with uh, with the president who i was working under and uh, and uh, the cfo to buy out the ownership stakes of the person who owned the business who was my mentor and uh, and we ran the business for 3 years I mean, we took a business that was pretty much out of money, was on the verge of bankruptcy, and we turned the whole thing around. Ensured that everybody that had a job kept a job, and uh, we actually made the business thrive and sold the business in 2013, I think. From 2012 onwards, I was back in India. I was trying to set up something very similar to what we did in the US. But while I was trying to set up the business, I really got a chance to see the vast difference between running a business maybe in the US and running a business in India, more from an ecosystem perspective, right? The whole US ecosystem is built for entrepreneurship. It's built for founders to do well. In India, in 2012, and again, I'm talking obviously ancient history at this point. Uh, you know, it wasn't a very enabling kind of an ecosystem, right? I mean, to to get my business name registered took over seven months, right? And that that is just unbelievable. I mean, seven months is like Five years in startup world, and then after that took another six months to open a bank account. So can you imagine thirteen months? You're just waiting to get started, and, and you know it's, it's like a failure to launch kind of a scenario. And uh, eventually, it just, it just became overwhelming. I, I wanted to quit, and I wanted to go back to the US. So that ecosystem just felt like it was more sane. But what what I really got was I read a book, and I got a piece of advice to someone who eventually became an investor in me. And uh, those two things, you know, completely changed the trajectory of my life. It was a book that had nothing to do with what I, what I thought the government, right? <laughs> the book called Simply Fly. written by captain gopinath about right air deccan which was india's first budget airline how he created that airline it's a, it's a very thick book but it talks about how the son of a farmer goes on to become a military man comes back becomes a farmer builds an amazing farm and then decides to open up a odupi restaurant fails spectacularly at it and then somehow becomes an entrepreneur because he then then opens up a motorcycle workshop then deccan uh, i think it's called deccan charter which was a helicopter service and then how that culminates into becoming you know india's first budget airline and also leading to an ipo leading to becoming a, a unicorn because it was worth over a billion dollars at one point and uh, the whole story i mean because you know he obviously was 20 years before me and the challenges he faced i was like if a farmer's son can face these challenges and open up an airline in india and you know opening up an airline in india is not you need, you need a lion's heart for that right so if someone like that can do it right from what i mean by that like his background had nothing to do with entrepreneurship this guy is not an entrepreneur entrepreneurial background kind of person and i have somebody who am a fourth generation entrepreneur here if he has the courage to do it why the heck am i trying to run back to the us and i think that just made me stay here so i'm going to stand and fight and that was just encouragement right because and and you know obviously it was it's when i open open up my open up the fund i think i faced a lot of challenges and i could always fall back upon you know like and i think it just keeps you sane when you have such stories and you rest such stories and you and you look up to such people it keeps you sane knowing as listen the yes the road is the road is difficult but if you just keep at it <clears throat> you just don't know how far you are actually from success but uh, i mean it's it's amazing right i mean this guy made chutney sandwiches at home to serve it on the airline i mean this is a jugaad story of india and that's and then that's how i got into early stage investing
No, thanks for sharing that. I'm sure that's going to inspire a lot of founders and uh, you know VCs as well who are trying to and you know waiting to take that plunge. And I'm sure a book like that will give some inspiration to to their journey as well. Uh, and you mentioned you know you're a fourth generation entrepreneur you know now, and I'm sure it comes with a lot of pressures and expectations as well. And it's difficult to you know change the path that the family is probably traditionally taking when it comes to you know managing the business investing in specific kind of businesses so how did you convince them to you know start looking at startups you know which i think you brought to the family office it was very difficult so i come from a family of stock brokers not just my family but every single person that i think of that i might have met in my childhood was either a stock broker or investing in stocks so you know to convince someone to move from that kind of a where you can just you know for them it's always like if i if i'm wrong i can sell it right and and obviously in startups you can't do that so it's always a comparison but what really helped was that i decided that you know i was going i was going to get into this i was going to do this full time and that was where the second piece of advice came from one of from one of the my late uncle ramesh damani he uh, you know his advice was only that you know if you're going to do anything in india you have to be at it for a thousand days right you have to be at it for a thousand days obviously later on there's all this research that you know if you if you have to be an expert at something you got to work at it for 10000 hours yeah so you know 1000 days into 10 hours a day is is, is 10000 but he didn't quote any of this research there was no mit study he wasn't like here is a pdf read this or here you know forwarding an email he just said listen 1000 days you stay at it in india 1001 day people will come to look for business from you and and that's exactly what happened it was so it was it was just serendipity right a thousand days from the time i started investing it was when oyo became a unicorn and it completely changed my family's thought process on what exactly is startup and from there onward i think obviously there was a lot more in, inbound inquiry to seek investment versus me trying to you know convince that we are an angel and yeah I, i it took it took a bit of effort what what really helped was that i had a i didn't have a plan just to invest i uh, what i started out by doing was i said i said okay listen i understand you're going to give there's a bunch of capital and can quickly get dissipate right so how can we be more disciplined about it and how can we remove emotion from this entire equation and then the first thing we did was that instead of giving a bunch of capital and keeping it in a bank because so that then becomes it, it it entices you to write larger checks so said, listen we're going to decide by writing 5 lakh rupee checks in every company and to ensure that we don't right more than that we're actually not going to put the money into a bank account we're going to buy a windmill asset and that windmill asset was is going to start giving revenues every month and those are pretty consistent roughly about 10 to 12 lakhs a month and so that would give me opportunity to write two checks and i'll be disciplined now right and here was the other other caveat that i built in or well, i can't write a lesser check so just because i i did not sort of like you right it doesn't mean that i can i can write two and a half lakhs and hedge my bet right it's either 5 lakhs or nothing and that ensured that we had to now qualify 10 deals that were worth our 5 lakh check i could only do 10 to 12, i think 10 or 12 deals is pretty much the max i could do and the deal had to qualify for 5 lakh so it could not qualify for 2 and a half lakh and that ensured that the portfolio became pretty homogenous so you don't ha- didn't have pockets where you know you invested too much capital and the other places you not done that and then as we grew in confidence and obviously with the exits we bought more renewable energy assets increase the operating flow and now now 5 lakh became 10 10 became 15 15 became 30 and obviously now we're doing a fund so that that's that's a whole different paradigm but it always always ensured big day that that we looked at opportunities saying ki it's either worth the top 10 in my year or it's not and if it's not i rather just move on than trying to waste their time the founders time and my time trying to qualify something that is not qualified yeah and those constraints that kind of you know brought that discipline to venture investing you know which is required and while you were running a family office at that point you know you didn't have a fund life and a fixed period to you know return your fund but this constraint that you brought in you know in terms of how much capital you want to deploy and how how you get 
access to that capital, the source with which was the windmill asset that you mentioned, you know, it kind of brought in that discipline in you even before you were managing a venture fund. So, you know, tell me what were the other, you know, learnings from managing a family office that you brought on when you became a VC and started managing your venture fund? See, I think the the first thing was reporting, right? I, so what, this is something that we, we do is that we write a monthly newsletter to all our investors, right? And then I write a second one with to all the larger network of people that are around. And this was something that I think a lot of family offices that I met with and when I was fundraising would, would be uh, would bring out how often are you going to tell us what's happening? Because we, we have this tendency and, and obviously I've seen this, seen this with founders myself. So I know that <laughs> it works with where founders will keep updating you every month something goes wrong right and then suddenly you can see that the, the update stop and you know obviously something has gone wrong so i said you know what i, I write a newsletter regardless we've had a shutdown in the portfolio i'll write about that we had covid i have written a newsletter every single month of covid telling my investors exactly what we're doing yeah and how, what the pressures in fact even the pressures of working from home everything was written so that the now today when i'm almost 95 percent raised right we're only just about 10 15 crores from finishing our fund our investors have come back and deployed more capital. And so it puts us in a very unique position. 85% of my capital is Indian, yeah. right? And and that is a is a unique position because most VC funds that I have read about, the situation is probably opposite. Where 15, 20% is Indian and most of it is foreign capital. And that I think has come from this newsletter, from this, this approach of, of saying, you know, I am a family office too. I understand what your constraints are. And therefore there is a, there is a rapport there. And I'm able to answer your question Simply because I'm managing this fund myself, I'm not your regular money manager, right? I come from an entrepreneurial background. That approach, because I was in a family office, because I got to see so many fund managers from my vantage point, I could figure out, okay, what are the good points of every every fund manager? And what are the points that they're missing, which the other side wants? If I can put all that into one product, I think that could do uh, wonders, right? Yeah, and I think you had a very interesting vantage point, like you mentioned, you know, with your past experience and being with your family office. So, you know, Tell me what was the biggest difference between running a family office and running a VC fund and how did you manage that uh, gap per se? I think that the biggest uh, difference and maybe a positive one is that my review meetings don't happen at dinner table anymore, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's not like I'm having a daily review. But you know, jokes apart, I think that the major difference has been how much power I can leverage with money. So earlier, obviously, if I was writing a 15-20-50 check, I could syndicate within a closed network a crore to two crores very easily. But it would take some time, right? So when I'm negotiating with an entrepreneur, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking, can I can I close this round or not, right? And now what's happening is I know I can close this round. I know I can crack a deal. And what that means, I can leverage all of our capital. So we are, you know, a pretty significant investor in our own fund, but there's obviously all these other investors that are there. But now with all that combined effort, I can actually leverage that capital for better position to work out better rights, to be able to get participate in rounds which earlier would not have taken my check. Yep. And for the founder's perspective, there's only one person on the cap table to manage, right? You're not trying to raise two, three crore rupees, your first check, and you have 50, 60 people getting added onto your cap table, which later on that's going to come and bite you like nothing you've ever imagined. Because when you're trying to do a series A or a series B, and now you got to get 60 people to sign off on that transaction, it, it is amazing. Like some of these people just disappear. It's happened so many times that, you know, some people just disappeared. They don't know. We don't know. We can't find their address, their phone number, nothing works. They wrote a two lakh rupee check and three years later, they're untraceable. Right now, imagine how do you do a transaction when one investor is untraceable? 
and so it just makes it easier in terms of the the founder as well it makes it easier for me as as a lead to have that single check to have a single point of focus and at the end of the day i was syndicating capital obviously i am the lead so the expectation from my investors is that i am taking care of the integrities of the transaction and this is what i'm doing even as a fund manager so for me i think it just become a lot simpler to write the check it's much more advantageous for the founder because now the, the negotiation is that, listen i'm only going to be one person on a cap table you don't have to manage so many expectations we we will now be able to leverage these people correctly for you and we're able to work out advantageous positions there and the beautiful thing is that our fund with this strategy is able to deploy more and more capital in follow on rounds so we double the size of check in every round which means that the founder doesn't have to keep going out and looking for new capital sources yeah and from the same guy you can get 15 crores so it gives you a lot of confidence for the next 20 25 months i can from a single vc get 2 million dollars over the next 3 years so unless my business plans require a massive massive amount of upfront investment to askal very few business plans actually have that you've got a guy who's who's there with you who's going to be in the journey who's going to keep investing in you so get to work and and let's make this thing big right and and i'll come to that point where you mentioned you know about the strategy of deploying capital you know in the initial rounds uh, versus you know reserving some capital to deploy in the subsequent rounds but before that you mentioned this before uh, you have a preference of managing micro funds versus the traditional approach of raising larger fund sizes and then deploying that capital so could you talk more about that preference and you know how do you think about managing multiple micro funds versus you know a big mega fund there are so many aspects to it so hopefully i'll try to capture all of them right now but see writing that initial check right there is a certain dna required for that and as you as the fund sizes get bigger unfortunately the dna has to change and what happens is that so as you get a bigger and bigger fund essentially your 30 million dollar fund can write that say that one to two one to three crore check but if the same fund becomes a 100 million dollar fund a 200 million dollar fund to write a 1 to 3 crore check is too difficult for that fund even a outsize exists you're not going to make a difference to the overall corpus of the fund so the dna changes now once the dna changes you're no longer playing the game that you're good at in cricket parlance if you started asking sachin tendulkar to start becoming an opening bowler and trying to bowl fast maybe he can throw a few balls here or there but he's never going to be a great fast bowler he's always a great batsman and that's what happens when you try to change your dna to become something else so i think we didn't want that to happen secondly i think as the funds get bigger you have to increase the number of partners that are managing the fund which means there's also a lot more operational expenses being added so if you're a 200 300 million fund usually four to five partners maybe three to four partners so that means again if you're going to do that and everyone's going to have their own you know 30 40 mil to deploy why just don't have them in separate separate fund like we can all get managed by the same platform but everybody individually manages their own performance and that also allows the investor to pick and choose right i maybe want to invest with digjay and i don't want to invest in ayush i want to invest in ayush i don't want to invest in vinod i want to put in vinod and digjay but not anyush it could be either or so it makes it a little a little more easier and third is the mathematics so taking a 200 crore fund and delivering a 1000 crore exit value which is 5x theoretically and actually is much easier than taking a 1000 crore fund and trying to deliver a 5000 crore exit simply because the math as the numbers get bigger it does not remain the same right a small cap stock becomes mid cap mid cap can become large cap but large cap will not move at the speed of a mid cap or a small cap yeah so it just made sense that you know be a controlled small size fund you know, the 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 real fun in this digger is that when you have a oyo kind of a number you're doing the math if I, if, we, if you had a oyo in a in a fund like a 200 crore fund into our structure it would return five times the capital by itself by itself that means the remaining 39 opportunities can all be zero and my investors will make five x and that obviously oyo is a disproportionate result but even mathematically if i own let's say 15% of a company 
and they get valued at 1500 crores in a, in a round which in today's day and age is not a big deal it means my value is 225 crores into a single company and that single company is equal to the value of my fund which means my investors can now with one exit i can turn all the capital and say ki baki let's harvest and make it bigger and that situation is only possible when you're when you're in a fund that is a controlled micro vc size it it is better for founders it is better for investors and it is better for the fund team so because you know when you're looking at those disproportionate exit multiples it means you have a lot of carry coming away which we share more than 60 65% of our carry with the team so the team is is incentivized to create wealth for themselves ki deliver more exit make more wealth right and all of that is possible in a fund uh, that is structured in this way no i mean all valid points and i uh, truly appreciate the depth that you're going in because a lot of efficiencies like you mentioned comes in when you're you don't have multiple partners managing the fund managing the decision making more importantly you know so you can get back to founders uh, much quicker uh, but you know to your earlier point you mentioned that you know you like to invest more in subsequent rounds in the founders that you're investing early so how do you manage that with a micro fund because you know again you are trying to spread your bets but you also have to reserve capital to double in in subsequent rounds and in some ways that could be constraining uh, from a micro fund perspective so how do you manage that at artha two things we did right again we go back to the fact that we create these limits on ourselves right or what we going to invest minimum maximum kind of stuff and that itself also creates a situation for us to be obviously know what we how much money we going to deploy in every stage So what we've done is that internally we've got a one to three crore kind of limit for the first check. Can't go below one, cannot go beyond three. Ten, twenty percent up and down though, but that that is roughly the limit. And we'll only make forty bets in that space. So our average check size would be around one and a half crores in that space. So forty into one, one and a half is about sixty crore deployed over there. Then we're saying we'll take the twenty winners that we've identified out of these forty and double the check. So that would become another you know, twenty into three is another sixty. and then take the te- top 10 winners from that 20 and then deploy 6 crores in each so what happens is you're double the check size in every, every round you're putting very very clear limits ki mai follow on to mujhe karna hi hai yeah right so i am very clear with my found with the founders that listen if you're coming to us for a single check and you're never going to come back to us for money again then you come to the wrong investor right for us getting allocation in your follow on round is the primary reason we're investing and we're spending all this time and money right i call it roti right return on time invested is more important than roi because eventually the banana half crore is not going to make a massive difference to my fund but the ability to deploy larger rounds of capital to follow on that is going to make make a difference and therefore i'm investing all my time and money today with you so we want it in our paperwork that you will reserve x amount of capital for you in your in your follow on round otherwise our model doesn't work correct so just like i have to invest in your business model you must also invest in my investment model it has to be symbiotic so most founders can then understand if i have to don't have to go back and waste time in raising a follow on round isn't it better to have somebody who already has reserves for a follow on round and that gets us into very advantageous positions even with a founder working with you all i'm trying to understand is are you ready for my follow on check are you somebody i want to invest more and more amounts of capital i can write up to 15 crores in three rounds but are you the guy or girl that i should be backing No I think that's that's a very valuable perspective you know and for a lot of founders who are listening to this it helps them put the lens of a VC especially a micro VC which has a constrained fund size but is still very disciplined and using those constraints to their advantage to make a win-win situation and you know founders are especially at the early stage they are looking for investors who can be with them for the long run so that they don't have to spend time fundraising all the time of course you know as a founder if you're looking for venture led growth you always are fundraising but having an investor who has that reserved capital give them that confidence to deploy that capital into you i think that gives them a lot of confidence early on 
so you know great points and i think that's that's definitely a very valuable perspective anirudh i want to switch gears here and talk more about artha the venture fund you know tell us more about the investment thesis uh, you know that you have here and uh, some of the marquee investments that you made from the fund so the thesis was that we would look for passionate entrepreneurs i think i think a couple of things that we've learned or other i've learned from deploying my own capital is that unless you create a category winning company in india so the two things either create a category or win a category and if you're not not number one or two in a category then in india there is unfortunately no value for number 3 4 5 6 7 8 most people won't even remember who number 3 4 5 is so what we seek is we're looking for people that are trying to do something disruptive and helping them you know getting to that number one or two position in the first three years so by the time i'm writing my largest check it is very clear that you are a category winning company or not right and if you're not which is okay i i think that there are now enough examples where number 3 4 5 companies are also getting acquired by number one or two companies or by corporates looking to enter that space and we've been part of several such transactions right i mean confirm ticket is the latest one we've had existing companies like corporates have tried to enter into the space and they want to want to enter the space and will buy the leader or, or the potential leaders so like a beardo or a find or, or now floats right and these companies are also have been fantastic investor exit for us that's primarily what we're looking at doing is in be able to identify category winning companies we're doing that in two areas one is consumer and the second is b2b so allocation is 60 40 and in consumer also we divided into two parts one is d2c and the other part is what enables the d2c ecosystem so you'll notice that i'm not that we're not sectoral we're very thematic in that thought process even earlier we were very thematic in saying you know travel is going to do very well so you'll notice a lot of travel companies in the portfolio and and now we're saying the d2c is going to do very well because the penetration of internet in india has reached its tipping point i think india now has 57% of the population is connected to the internet india for a first time in history the rural internet connections are more than the urban internet connections which is massive right and if you think about 9 months of covid have actually been the boon for india right because at the start of 2019 india was at 41% internet penetration and china was at 41% internet penetration 9 years ago and china was at 57% internet penetration at the start of 2019 in 9 months india covered up 9 years of being behind china and look at what look, look at the explosion that has taken place on the internet right look at the kind of d2c brands and not just the the kind but look at the volume at which they're selling right we have purple in our portfolio i know siddharth five very well so he's got obviously delicious in his portfolio and if you look at the kind of volume and where these companies are getting volume so it tells you d2c d2c ka moment to abhi hai right so anything that enables the d2c ecosystem is also part of our fund thesis it has a b2b b2b2c kind of feel to it but it could be like last month delivery companies it could be point of sale loan companies right and anything that enables that ecosystem is a 30% focus and 40% is b2b enterprise side and so that 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 is the thesis we're working with like i said the methodology or the strategy is to incrementally add more and more capital so we incrementally want to increase our ownership into into winner so we don't want to dilute the founder too early but we also don't want to have such a small stake that the time time and we're putting into companies is not getting rewarded with with you know when those companies do well some of the i think headlining companies out of the fund today we made 10 investments so far 10th one has not been announced but as announced in the next 2 3 weeks most in the news right now is agnikul right and they've done i mean they're doing a fantastic job the team of uh, shrinath and mohan obviously put up put india on the map second company that is doing very well is dainden club which is now india's largest microfinance p2p lender and uh, another company that's doing very well is the company called dalchini which is they've become like india's 99 rupee d2c store right so because d2c mein 99 rupee ticket na is is very difficult to make money offline or online 
for D2C players. But but Dalkini is solving that problem by uh, through its network of smartly connected IoT vending machines. And and so those three and then Picky Ride obviously is a leader in its space. Again, where we are invested in that. Those four companies definitely I think are either winning the category or creating a category of their own. Those are the kind of plays we're doing. Very Bharat focused, you could say, but uh, also trying to create and and win categories. Right. Very interesting and a lot of clarity in what you're going after. And, you know, being big on consumer is technically very big on India because that's where the next wave is going to come from. And taking a mix of D2C as well as the players that are enabling that ecosystem definitely makes sense to cover all angles of the consumer business that you want to bet on. So thanks. Thanks for that. And, uh, you know, tell us more about how are you sourcing deal flow today? I'm sure it's a combination of both inbound outbound, but how do you think about, you know, deal flow today? What have been the changes in the last two, three years? Because now we are seeing that, you know, excitement in the Indian startup ecosystem. It's starting to mature. There's still a long way to go, but uh, we are seeing a lot of VC funds competing for deals and capital is becoming commoditized. So, you know, how do you think about deal flow today? So the good thing is, you know, I think the space where we exist in is uh, we're pretty unique in the fact that we don't come in at the idea stage, right? So we're not competing with the accelerators, we're partners with the accelerators. In fact, we started a program uh, recently where we double the check of any accelerator. So if an accelerator is putting 10, 15 lakhs into a company, we'll double that check, come into the same round as them. And that way we can also move into the follow-on rounds much quicker with them. So we've already signed one accelerator and now we'll be looking at adding about five or six more. So we don't compete there. And for most other VC funds, our check size is too small for them to for us to compete over there either. So with our direct competition typically is, a, is an angel network. So it makes it much easier for us to actually exist over here. It's almost like a no fiction kind of a space that we're in. And uh, don't even take a cold call deal. What we've done is that we've got a pretty fantastic network of venture partners. Either they were founders that we put money into or they are investors who we've co-invested in the past. So they know us very well from a very close vantage point. And, and what we ensure with them is that whenever they refer a deal to us, we take it up for evaluation quite immediately, right? And that ensures that there is one level of check already done. Because obviously that uh, founder referring a deal also wants to ensure that reputation remains at, at the level it is. And they do their one level of check. But it also gets us into deals that are already jage hai. You know? And that is very, very interesting, right? Because when we're coming in, the founder has already pre-sold us to the, to the new founder. The founder understands that we are going to be involved. We're not somebody that's is going to write a check and, and disappear. And that ensures that when the founders, the new founders come in, they have an expectation from us, which we have to match. And that creates a good position for us as well. Right? Because founders coming to us with a need and it's not just, key, you know, just give me your check and then don't, don't see me till the next quarterly board meeting, right? I mean, that's not something we do. And that's not something yeah. we, we believe in. Awesome. And, you know, one interesting point that comes to mind is, you know, once you've written the initial check, founders, of course, need to raise more money. You come in with your follow-on rounds but they'll also bring in other investors. So, you know, from a founder perspective, what are some red flags that they should keep in mind to keep their cap table clean? And what are some traits of, you know, good co-investors that you would like to see in your fellow investors that come in in subsequent rounds? So this is an issue. I think many, any founder that has done exit in the last three to four years where there was an engine network involved, it's a good time to go and ask them, ask the founder, whatever was the biggest challenge. And you'll realize that, few challenges that are there is the people that are doing the smallest check. They're usually the most difficult and most expensive to discover and get stuff done. So at the end of the day, you know, I have seen checks as small as 50,000 rupees into a venture funded deal. So what as a founder you should do is at least have a standard. Tell the angel network, I'll not take checks below 5 lakh rupees or 10 lakh rupees size. At some point, India is going to start following the global standard of having accredited investors only allowed to invest into companies. 
you need to have a net worth of at least 2 3 5 crores or whatever for a 5 crore guy to write a 50000 rupee check he just doesn't value it at all he's just writing it just to get a taste and a feel now do you want your company to be the petri dish on which he's going to be testing things out and therefore maintain this kind of a process that at least a minimum check size should be taken from a co investor plus if they're not writing a significant enough check they're not going to pay attention to your deal either right which is not good for you why would you take check from somebody that that is not going to be giving full attention to you right so you know maintain a good list of co investors there's a there's a lot of amazing angel investors in india many of them are now not willing to co invest where there is too many people on the cap table and especially people that they don't know so i think that's very very critical for any founder today if you have to take a angel check and let's say you have to take it from an angel network then at least make sure the people putting in money are writing a significant enough check right maybe put a standard of 10 lakh rupees per check right if you're raising 2 crore 20 people very easy to manage and trust me you want the pressure of these people who put in 10 lakh rupee checks to at least follow up with you once or twice in a quarter right and you being able to ask and say listen i need help with this or i need help with that leverage that network but the guy who wrote a 50000 rupee check is not going to pick up the phone and when you're doing follow on do you think that guy is going to come back and write a follow on check so you've done the manner of finding the first 20 25 investors who can write 2 crore and now you're going to do even more manner to find the next set so be careful about who you bring on as co investing and unless they bring a very strong strategic alignment if, you, if they're a founder that really has understands and, and and has made it happen maybe then you can drop the standard to 5 lakh but don't start getting into single digit sub sub 1 lakh rupee checks no absolutely all valid points and you know we are seeing that change now even from the founders where they are trying to demand for syndicates you know rather than individual angel investors and funds like yourself you know which are coming with a micro vc model where they are able to write angel type checks uh, and still have that skin in the game to follow on and you know keep uh, giving them that value beyond the capital so i think that's that's definitely a good point uh, for founders to take away uh you know you've made about 85 plus investment so far tell us what has worked in terms of you know the basic principles of early stage investing that you have been following both when you were investing from the family office and now at the vc fund and what were some learnings that came along the way uh, you know uh, mistakes that you learned from i i think any place where we where we drop standards and i'm not just talking about investment standards but like let's say we were very anal about having founders report numbers on a weekly basis despite it sounding like i need the numbers for myself honestly all i'm trying to do is make sure the founder sees the numbers himself you're reporting numbers to me so i'm the bad guy but honestly you're reporting numbers to yourself and once you start understanding your own numbers and once you start making decisions led by that data that you know what that of that numbers that are in front of you it completely changes the entrepreneur i mean this is something that we have seen so many times and we've seen companies with limited amounts of capital create unbelievable results it is something i implemented for example when i was working with confirm ticket we got into this weekly reporting model with a 1 and 1/2 crore investment that company created a 3 crore daily turnover so literally it went from raising venture capital to raising customer capital we were just recognizing that when you turn this lever what happens to this this number and we just kept adjusting it here and there here and there those learning has been that you know the found you cannot let the standards drop on the founder because then you're doing a disservice to the founder and to, and to yourself because the founder came to you with the expectation that you will maintain a certain standard either the company qualifies for a certain check or it does not but let's not just gamble by saying you know i don't know whether this is a great hand or not but let me just bluff my way through as as i would in poker right if you maintain 
standards across your life, personally or personally, you notice that the quality of your life will change. And that's why the quality of our portfolio, I believe, is a direct reflection of the fact that we have not let our standards drop, right? And wherever we felt that there was a disalignment or there was friction with the founder for a certain thing, we're more than happy to exit the company. We've had founders buy us back or to find us, find us an exit. And we're okay with that. I think all valuable points. It's been an amazing conversation. We've heard a lot about constraints and how you can use that to your advantage. And being disciplined can, you know, help you look at data, even if it is limited data early on. But I think that kind of compounds and brings in the best practices, which will, you know, help you as you scale your business. With that, you know, I just want to move to our final segment, which is the rapid fire. And I'll shoot some questions and hope to get your honest, immediate thoughts on the same. Let's do it. Okay. First one. One thing that you'd like to change to improve the state of the Indian startup ecosystem. I, I just wish the government does just does away with all this, you know, these requirements of third party valuers trying to value whether VC funds know how to value companies or not. I mean, SEBI gave us a license, so I don't think we need a merchant banker to tell us that whether we can value a company or not. So, but it could significantly improve the speed at which we can close around. Today, there's just so many things we have to do. And, and unfortunately, it just means that things take longer to close in India. And I wish just the government would just do it with some of these with, with some of these requirements. If we could just come back to a very simple way of closing around, no requirement of merchant bankers, you know, those kind of things. I think it would just make life a lot simpler for for the founder and for the founder. If you had to give a TED talk, what topic would you choose? It's so funny, I just did a TED talk last week. But but I think if I had to give a second one, maybe it would probably be uh, how door to door sales can make you a great VC premier. <laughs> interesting, very interesting, and yeah, I look forward to listening to that. Definitely. One memorable pitch meeting that you had with a founder. There's been a few, but you know, the, the, the most memorable ones, and again, without getting into, you know, the quality of the pitch have been the ones where I've been traveling and I've told a founder, listen, this is the only time I have. And then we get into a car ride and then just drive, drive out together and he's pitching me on the way there. So there's been a few of them that happened in Bangalore because Bangalore's, you know, drive to the city is so long. But, and, and there was one very funny one. I think this was when I was still, still running a family office. Uh, I actually got picked up by a set of founders from the airport. Uh, so we, we drove out in the taxi together. On the way, I dropped them off, picked up another set of founders from there, and then drove to the hotel. So I had, I had two sets of pitches going on on the way there. And I, and I, had, I think I had a brand new intern traveling with me. And he was just like, what the heck is this happening? I said, this is, this is how it's supposed to be done, right? Make maximum utilization of time. And those, that was just memorable for the way that Everything just worked out. Like we had, a, I think, an hour and 40 minutes transit. And, and on the way, we had just two back-to-back pitches and uh, made the most of it. Last question, uh, Anirudh. Uh, VCs and founders from the ecosystem that you look up to? I think one of the guys that I've, in, in many ways I grew up watching was Sunil Goyal from Your Nest. Just, just the, again, somebody who's very, very numbers-oriented, I think, and, and very interesting uh, portfolio. I think globally, I'm a big follower of Brad Feld. I'm a big follower of Fred Wilson. So those those guys definitely inspired my blogging strategy and also writing newsletters came from you know reading reading their blog. I think founder-wise, um, great founders. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about startup founders that are doing some very amazing and, and unique things, uh, I think if I look at some, I look up to someone like a Manish, right, from from Purple. He's not had the traditional you know hockey stick fundraising history right but what what you what you've really seen is a guy who's gone out there and, and really ground it out and today is, is definitely uh the ecosystem or his space is now repaying him for his roti right for his OTI, return on time that he has invested i think somebody else i could really look up to is someone someone like a shifu from exotel just sat on the sideline while everybody else got funded there are many founders who took not getting funded too hard Shifku was just somebody who did, did not matter. He was like, nahi hua to nahi hua, hai. We'll, we'll just keep chugging along. 
and now today to see the result he's got for his company and obviously for all the shareholders so you know deserves every single accolade that comes his way so i i think there, there are such just a unique founders like that i mean beardo founders again ashutosh someone who's now giving back to the investing capital back i talk to that guy for one hour it's impossible don't don't walk out with more energy than he walked in with and and so these are the kind of guys that you'll just love hanging out with and it's just i'm just grateful that through the checkbook that i can write checks with uh, that i write checks into these companies with i'm able to be part of their story and be able to even in any any small way be, be of any help great awesome and you know anurad it's been amazing having this conversation with you i'm sure listeners are going to take away a lot of insights from this conversation and a very different perspective for uh, budding vcs so thanks for taking your time for this really enjoyed this conversation with you thank you so much dingje and i was again uh, not many vc entrepreneurs get put on the spot like i got today and uh, to explain exactly how we got here so i'm, I'm thankful and i would look forward to the final result Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruner podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it. Share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website thevcpreneur.com. We will be back again next week with another VC preneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.